Welcome to the Purpose Podcast. Our goal for everyone everywhere to follow Jesus. So that means you and your friends and their friends and everyone else. Let's get deeper. Hey guys, welcome to the Purpose Podcast. Uh, today is Thursday, May 18th. This is episode 10, and uh, we have a great show for you today. And always, as as always with me, is my good friend, uh, Caleb Spencer, who right now is wearing a red beanie, looking like a, um, you kind of look like a Viking out of the life aquatic. It's a bit like a mixture of, of the Royal Tenenbaums and Vikings. It's like... Uh, uh, yeah, I see that. <laughs> it's good i like it and just he's call been, me steve yeah he's been losing he's steve has been losing weight too so he's looking fashionable looking svelte svelte, <laughs> svelte is the word yeah i'm i'm losing weight too you know i had a procedure it's the, it's the thing to do this year i had a procedure done yesterday not like gastric bypass or anything um but i had to drink a lot of clear liquid two days ago and starve myself for the procedure and you can fill in the blanks as to what the procedure was why are you doing that so early you mean at in my age yeah like at 37 yeah you know i got i got trubs dude i got trubs (laughs) (laughs) more money more problems (laughs) (laughs) that's right dude because i am really wealthy too you know what it is it's the podcast the success the massive yeah that's true i mean the podcast has changed the advertising has really helped yeah it has (laughs) and all of our special guests (laughs) You said you could probably get Kristen Stewart on the show. Yeah, let's gonna, work on that. We're gonna try on that. Yeah, that's right. I hear she's um, not a very good interview. I could. You know, I actually hear she's really cool though. She's, oh, really? Um, I mean, yeah, my friend who's friends with her. It's super cool, especially yeah. when she's lit. She's uh, a <laughs> and she's a pretty uh, intriguing person outside of, like her part of the reason why she's not a, a, is not known to be a good interview. I think is actually related to why she's an interesting person. Is because wasn't well, that kind of like Fiona Apple? Fiona Apple is kind of like that. Sorry, everyone out there. But Fiona Apple is like my favorite girl singer. My I fa- think of my favorite Fiona Apple song. Keep going. Da-dun, da-dun. That's good. I think um, When the Pawn is an amazing album, just yeah. so if you get a chance to re- to listen to it. And she married P.T. Anderson, man, who is like the dude. Is that Paul Thomas Anderson? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm actually writing an article right now with a friend uh, for a special issue that we're editing about sincerity and we're using um the scene and there will be blood where mm. uh they have the milkshakes is like our opening example um oh how interesting yeah i love that movie i love that too it's trying to figure out if he's a false prophet or not authenticity like, as yeah does he know he's a prophet or is he faking it like that's right. what we're trying to figure out is i mean that's what we're using the, we think pt engine's asking the question through that scene asking the audience to figure out what kind of sincerity is on display is he actually you know it's one thing to be a false prophet and really believe that you're a prophet prophet. it's another thing to be a false prophet and know you're not a prophet and okay this is like super deep deep. you're getting super deep right now yeah yeah it's so deep bro (laughs) (laughs) i love your poem it's so deep um yeah so what are we talking about today we're not talking about okay so we're talking about parenting and we're going to talk about the the um what is it what would we what how do we define it it's the personal sense of destiny that that uh, our generation kind of has or the millennial generation kind of has yeah so I mean, which parenting, really gets us that like human purpose hum, yeah parenting and the theology of human purpose yeah yeah that's kind of what we're talking teleology about for those who prefer philosophical terms yeah okay so teleology um, anthropology break that, and teleology so break down the word teleology for our listeners and for me uh, <laughs> <laughs> now explain it to me like i'm a five-year-old <laughs> well in the words of c.s lewis no, <laughs> oh oh uh, it's a low blow bro uh no i mean i said low bro yeah i mean the yeah. word i mean broadly it just means purpose or end telos in greek is is the purpose or end of something so like the the purpose of a hammer is to pound a nail. So mm. the study of the teleology of the hammer would be mm-hmm. the study of, you know, its purpose. So what does it do? What is it? What's it to be for? And, you know, I have a pair of garden shears hung on my wall um, in my my family room. And people often are like, oh, those are cool. What's that about? And, um, you know, hanging up a pair of, of garden shears like the trimmers for your bushes as an art object yeah. sort of plays with their teleology, which I think people find intriguing. You know, it's underneath the... I think it's underneath the clock, actually. So it kind of functions as a um, 
as a work, like as a painting or, you know, so it's a, it's a, <clears throat> it's a, a reminder of the purpose of things. Yeah. For you. Yeah. Well, actually the, the garden shears are actually, they were my grandfather's. So oh. that might be my grandfather, but, but they, they're outside of their purpose when they're hung on a wall in your right. family room. Like it doesn't, they don't make sense there. Right. And so it's sort of, it's an illustration of how we know something's purpose. And yet it's also an illustration of how we can sort of mess with something's purpose. Right. It's like using a boot as a, as a drinking cup. Yeah. And yeah. Lot, yeah. Yeah. Like the great well, scene in Walter Mitty where he, he <laughs> orders a small, <laughs> have you seen that film? Which by the way, I love the, the new one. That's what I'm talking about. The new one. Yeah. Yeah. Where he goes and he's at the helicopter uh, bar and, yeah. and he orders the, the boot of the boot, the boot of, the boot of booze. And he boot says, of "Can I have a small boot?" <laughs> that's huge. But yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So teleology is when you're looking at the purpose of something. Well, it's interesting. I heard one of my favorite pastors, Charles Price. He always talks about the purpose of things. He actually uses the word sanctification, um, as he defines it as being used for the purpose for which you were designed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so being sanctified, so you sanctify a shoe when you wear it around. Yeah. When you use it as a doorstop, it's not sanctified. So, I mean, obviously the application to a, a Christian's life is when you're being sanctified, you're being used for the purpose for which you were designed. Yeah. No, I mean, if you think about, like, um, we'll probably come back to some of this later. Yeah, this is all good stuff to talk about yeah. later on. Yeah. But, no, I think there's a, that example of the shoe and the wear. I mean, I think we tend to see ourselves as people as our um, coming coming actually out of the Western philosophical tradition, we see ourselves as our own end. Like our purpose is right. for ourselves. And, and, okay. you know, Kant, Immanuel Kant, um, is one sort of important step in that trajectory. Uh, but American style democracy also sort of American focuses on mm-hmm. the sovereignty of the individual. And, and in one sense before the law, that makes sense. But, but that's clearly not the biblical understanding of what we exist for. Like my only tattoo reminds me that I exist for the glory of God, which is to say I have a dependent reality. Like my means, purpose is right. dependent on my, my, my existence is for somebody else. I'm not for myself. It's for somebody else. And it's for not just God, but for other people. Yeah. And I mean, that's not just a Christian yeah. concept. Plato actually is pro- the, the philosopher Plato is the one who first in his Republic, Wait, f- not, not my, my cousin Plato, <laughs> not from that guy. Jersey. No, not that guy. <laughs> but Plato actually <laughs> articulates if my students have a hard time with this because it's so counterintuitive to them as Americans, he articulates in the Republic, an idea that Americans and millennials and millennials that, that freedom in his ideal Republic, here it comes. <laughs> Bless you. That freedom <sighs> is being what you're made for, which is identical to what, Christ says about sanctification. Mm-hmm. So the ideal society is one where people are able to be what they are made for. So they're not just free to do whatever they want. They're free to be what they are. Right. Free to be what we are. So let's um, let's kind of start the show. we got a great show to talk about. Oh, yeah, we about haven't started yet. Stuff. <laughs> and yeah, that's our little introduction. So um, without further ado, let's get this show on the road. All right, so this week, Glenn and Kimberly preached a sermon about parenting. So it's the James uh, series that we're going through. Um, Caleb, you took some good notes. Can you uh, share with us some of the stuff that they talked about? Um, I didn't take very good <laughs> notes. <laughs> okay, so basically what no, they I said... No, actually, I took notes on the uh, the sermon handout, uh-huh. and then I didn't bring the sermon handout. I brought my journal, where I usually take notes, and then realized, because there was like 15 things, and it was all lined up on the... Yeah. On the sermon out, handout, I did not. I was well, going to see if those notes were still online. I mean, I, I, I remember there was sure. a lot about very yeah. practical things about right. you know the kinds of things one wants to do. And I, the one thing I definitely remember being central, and, and this is maybe where we should start, is um, the primacy of your role as a parent is raising Christian people, not like successful future business leaders or right. you know not people highly who educated are just Ivy successful League, in general i mean it doesn't Ivy League graduates yeah that your goal is that your student your kid rather would become um a follower of christ now i mean i right. i think that's you know doesn't mean your kid shouldn't be in the ivy league if they're gifted in certain ways you should definitely be encouraging in that direction but that i think their point is well taken like in california as well as anywhere else in suburbia mm-hmm. in America, the goal is to create successful kids, not followers of Christ. Right. And I think, um, 
you know, it's something that you constantly struggle with. It's something that you see parents do is they make decisions uh, for the child's success over the child's character. And yeah. I think that's one of the things that they brought up. They're like, well, you know, so for instance, like the kids that, that do travel baseball every Sunday, like they would say, just don't do travel baseball because they need to be part of a church community. And so, you know, or do it at an, yeah. on another t- at another time, right. because most likely, I mean, most likely your kid's not going to be a professional baseball player. Right. Sorry. Right. Sorry, guys. Well, and I think, yeah. the, I mean, we were saying how we're going to talk about today, like purpose and what people are for. Yeah. And obviously your answer to the question, what are people for, is going to affect your parenting. So if you think what people are for is to have like status and success in this world, um, understood in a worldly frame rather than in a, you know, rather than well done, good and faithful servant of Matthew 25. Yeah. Instead, like you win, you've got lots of the kind of brownie points of life. Then your parenting is going to be driven by those exigencies, those desires, Mm -hmm. those, if instead your goal is to raise up people who will hear well done, good and faithful servant, you're probably going to make some choices that are different. And the, the interesting thing is I think people often forget like lots of the things that are values in contemporary America for parenting are not antithetical with with the church. Like, for example, education exists in America because of the church. Right. Like, the universality of, of American-style education, and liberal arts in particular as it relates to college, but even in undergrad, I mean, sorry, in high school and, and younger kids, those are all because the church has been an organization of literacy and of valuing the sort of uniqueness of, of people for a very, very long period. If you look right. at most cultures throughout history, a very small percentage of students, of people, were being educated. Like, mm-hmm. even back to Jesus's day, like, most kids only got an education until they were, like, 10, and then they were out working in whatever trade or whatever um, mm-hmm. farm or what the family had, or they sure. were a slave. And uh-huh. so the vast, vast majority of people had almost no education. Uh-huh. Um, and so something like education is definitely a Christian value. It's just a question of is it the highest value? <laughs> is know? it the highest value? Yeah. yeah, because what you do is a lot of times um, you rely, and this is just maybe a different issue, but you rely on the educational systems that we have in place, whether they be your school or the church, uh, to be the parent of your child. And yeah. then and then you're surprised when your child is like, I don't think I really want to be a Christian anymore. And, and you know what I mean? Or I don't yeah. think I believe in any of this stuff. Yeah. And that's because you didn't take the time to actually sow into their character, sow into their Christian life, teach them about the things of God. Um, because that is the parents' responsibility. It's not the churches. It's not the yeah. schools. Um, the parents' responsibility is to is to raise up Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, what I really want to talk about, though, is a lot of our audience are millennials, and and they are foregoing the the parenting thing um, and replacing it with career or with destiny. Um, and, you know, it's so funny, you know, a lot of them have dogs and cats and stuff like that. And they kind of bring, they, you know, if you're having a conversation about your kids, they're like, well, my dog does this. Oh, it's so cute. And you're like, it's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like your you know, cat is the same as a child. Yes, yeah, they're making this. So there's actually studies done about that. They think that they're replacing children with. Yeah, animals. yeah. And it's like, I mean, it's it's interesting globally as well as in our culture because it's not just here and i read a study about japanese people having fewer children and in tokyo in particular and in the other urban centers in japan lots of people are um having animals like cats and dogs as substitutes for children and there's this sociological study of the kind of ethnography where they interviewed them that was so fascinating because they're saying those kinds of things they were like you know our parents had children but you know we just think that having an animal a pet a dog a cat is you know it's more it's more consistent with our lifestyle and I mean right. I was sort of saying this in Japanese and it's translated but <laughs> but it was actually about consumer practices as well because they were like spending they were taking their cats and dogs to like all day schools there's like all these schools popping up which are like basically like boarding spaces so that your pet doesn't have to be alone alone all day and I mean and, and so they're spending it's tons like of money care. it's not a financial issue right. it's it, but it, you know you can think about how there's like a difference in freedom right and that right. so I think the values that are shown through it are our personal autonomy like you can drop your pet off at you know wherever and have somebody else watch it and and you don't of course have to worry about its soul like you don't have to worry about the kind of it's not going to create culture someday you don't have to think about what kind of culture it's going to create you don't have to think about like which kind of contribution it's going to make to society it's not going to make any country you know well yeah it's only contribution is going to be like defecate in that corner or defecate in that corner so Uh, (laughs) so it's a pretty significant disanalogy is my point you know you made a contribution fluffy Uh, yeah exactly um yeah we're talking remember we're talking about like 
in part like what people are for. Right. And obviously part of that has to do with like what pets are for. And you yeah. know, saying I want a pet to substitute for a kid is already acknowledging, you know, a kind of fundamental difference about the teleology of pets versus versus, versus, versus kids. Children. And, it, well, yeah, and a kind of anxiety about having the, the one that has that much more purpose slash meaning built into it that you then have to, you know, both create, cultivate and direct. Instead, you just sort of create. And, and, and of course, like. Like I said, these people are spending a ton of money and effort on pets, like on their kid, buying on clothes their for them. I mean, you can get on Instagram yeah. and look at it. They have like all these pet boutiques where people totally. dress their animal every day. And right. they have like cute little outfits for them, like as though they're a kid and it's Gap Kids, but it's like dog kids. Oh, gosh. It's crazy. Gap dogs. It's Gap dogs. <laughs> Gap dogs. Uh, yeah. I, it is interesting. And, and it kind of brings it begs the question like of the, the fundamental difference between a, a, a like people like us who decided to have kids. Um, and the way that we look at um, the purpose of man, the purpose of, of our, you know, destiny on earth, like whatever it is. Um, and then, you know, kind of the, the modern, this this kind of view that, that my whole world is about me mm-hmm. and about um, whether or not I can accomplish these things, whether or not I can, you know, be great and have this entrepreneurial thing or I can be, an, I can have an awesome career. Um, you know, and people say, well, I'm not a baby factory, you know, like that's, I've heard this a lot. I've actually heard it a few times, you know, like from women, especially it's like, well, I'm not a baby factory, you know, I can do what I want, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and, um, and I need to, I need to accomplish something. I need to make my mark on the earth. Um, it's all that kind of stuff that, you know, and, and then, and then I think as a parent, you know, listening to people talk like that, you're just like, man, you know, like if you only knew like yeah. the incredible depth and the incredible like purpose that somebody's comes on, from somebody's on the roof. Yeah, I know. I hear, I'm hearing that, <laughs> but but the amount the amount of the, yeah. the depth of maturity. I mean, like yeah. honestly, I went into I went into having kids a a boy a kid myself, and then now you know eight years later after having four kids, I think I'm an adult now. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, right. Like, no, I mean so it changed yeah exactly my maturity. Yeah, I mean you did say that thing earlier about price and and sanctification, and I think one of the things that as you know this is getting into romantic love as mm-hmm. well. Excuse me, but one of the things that seems relevant about having children is that you're not just, in some sense, cultivating them. They are cultivating you. Mm-hmm. Um, and and or to put it in different terms, in more religious terms, they're sanctifying you. Right. So the, the reason we have kids is not just so that we can fulfill their purpose or help to fulfill their purpose in the world, but they, in some sense, help to shape us into what we need to become. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the pet owner, for example, you know, in, in Plato's terms or in Augustine's terms or in Luther's terms, is reducing their capacity. It's not that pets are bad. They're not bad. No. They're good. They're reducing their capacity to become what they are meant to be by parenting a dog as opposed to parenting a kid. Mm-hmm. It does, I mean, I have pets. You have pets. There's nothing, I'm not, there's nothing, it's just a lesser good, right? So, mm-hmm. and it helps develop in you a less full humanity. So. Well, and it also kind of, it misconstrues a dog's purpose. Yeah, like exactly. The, like the and it, it asks the dog to be more than what a dog yeah. can ever be. It the dog cannot be your yeah, child. Exactly. Well, and yeah. likewise, like, and this of course is, you know, maybe a tangent and we should come back to this, but probably the other half of this equation is for some of people who don't want to have kids is they've seen the degree to which um, the, our society has this sort of view of kids, and maybe we mentioned Gap, but I don't want to single them out, but as a kind of accoutrement, like a kind of handbag, right? right? So that the child is sort of, I mean, lots of people will talk about having children as like a personal preference, and and Mm -hmm. the purpose of it is sort of like buying a new car, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I just feel like my life isn't full, so I should have a child. Have a kid. And, And that's like another version of this problem. It's not the one you're referring to, but... But why not have kids? Like one answer is because, you know, my purpose is me. Mm-hmm. Another answer to why have kids is my purpose is me. Yeah. And both of those are misguided. Like, well, and the most and the most, I think, immature of us stay in that space, even when they have kids. But a lot of times what happens is, you know, even if their intention is to have those kids to be in accoutrement, that's right. then they end up growing it and changes. maturing. As no, a I result. think you're right. I think the child itself yeah. so shapes you and breaks you in your own self-centeredness. Breaks you that oftentimes yes. the person who sets out to like get the handbag called a kid mm-hmm. ends up totally being refocused by the yeah, first year of disaster that just destroys all of yourself. Well, that's like, well, <laughs> and it's like people think they're going to the mall or yeah. they think they're going to a party, but really what they're doing is going to SEAL training yeah. and they don't realize yeah, it. That's it's right. like you're going to Bud's and you don't yeah, realize it. Yeah, that's right. That's a yeah. good analogy. No, I mean, I think that's yeah. entirely right. So, and maybe that's part of it is like, again, it's not that everybody has to have kids, but I do think that part of what parenting is about is a kind of agape. It's a kind of love mm-hmm. 
self-sacrificially for somebody else. In the case of the demand of a child on you, it actually like literally, I mean, I remember when my kids were youngest, like feeling like I couldn't sleep because I was sort of so on edge waiting for them to wake up yeah. to like serve them. Totally. And it wasn't like, a, it wasn't the kind of service where I was like, I really want to serve you. It was more like yeah. an internal innate demand totally. that I must serve them. And that, that sort of exterior draw phenomenologically of yourself out of yourself, you know, you, you don't get that elsewhere. You don't, well, there's when your something cat cries. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. There's something very instinctual when you hear, when you hear the baby's cry and how it and how it kind of like elevates your heart rate. Yeah. All the things exactly. that happen, it's very instinctual. And, no, that's right. and so what an interesting thing. Um, which brings up another question. I think this conversation kind of leads to the next one. I I have this sense that people are kind of making the decision to not have kids in our generation or in or in the generation directly behind us, um, without really consulting whether or not God cares about that or not. And so they're kind of like, well, I don't really want kids or, oh, I'm going to wait till this point in my life to have kids. And I think as a Christian, that's never been the way that we approach life in any context. Mm -hmm. And so what, when you become a Christian, your, your question immediately, your first, your primary like question is always to say to God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do here? Uh, Our principal decision-making changes. I always say that like, the sanctification process is changing your decision-making process. Yeah. And our first step is usually, it has to be to go to God and say, okay, what do you want from me? I obviously have an opinion, but I, I want your opinion and I'll do what you want. Not my will, but your will be done. Um, what do you think about that? I, I yeah. think people are approaching this kid thing in that way and they're not asking the question. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think it's, this is answering it probably at another step of remove from what you're asking initially, which is that, I think that partly has to do with where people get their answers in the first place. Because, you know, to say like, oh, should I have kids sounds like this sort of personal question. Like, you right. know, do, in, my, in my personal life, are, is having kids, you know, something I should do? But I think the more fundamental and prior question has to do with sort of what Scripture and the tradition of the church has represented as human purpose and how that relates generally to human purpose and then your personal question, right? Like, right. So it's so like, what are humans for? Well, right. scripture testifies over and over again that in part we are here for procreation. And that doesn't just mean having children. That means the construction of culture. And that includes like lots of things that are... It's the passing down yeah, of good that things, things from yeah, one generation that things, to the next. Exactly. And that, that God is glorified. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Garden of Eden is not a space that sort of... Um, I mean, this is a kind of problem, I think, in the church's understanding of human purpose. Like, it wasn't this place that was sort of uncultivated. On the contrary, we, we worked in the garden. It just wasn't onerous upon us. And, and the point of that image is to say that humans exist to do work, to image back what our creator does, which is right. create things and make things. The, the commandment to be fruitful and multiply is not primarily about having children. It's primarily about creating like God creates in his image, or which includes it, the making of children. But so I would say maybe it, 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 it actually is primarily be fruitful and multiply m- making Which children. is culture maybe. But then secondly, yeah. it's also culture making. Well, and, and I mean, a movie like Children of Men or the right. novel by P.D. James shows what happens to the future when you don't have children. Mm-hmm. And and the point is there is no future. I mean, there's this wonderful scene in the film. If you haven't seen it, you know, it's a little bit rough in it. certain places. Clive I'm just Owen. thinking of our audience. Yeah. I like Clive Owen. Yeah, and, and it's a very dramatically shifted from the novel then the basic premise is similar but but there's some significant changes but there's a scene in which one of the characters is talking about um when the baby stopped happening she was working as a um as a midwife or as a nurse in a hospital and suddenly there was like no babies happening and and meaning no one was having children anymore and it just for whatever reason people stopped being born and and that premise is like the main premise of the novel slash film which is what kind of world do we have when we don't have kids? And the answer is like not much. Like it's actually intriguing how much mm-hmm. people's lives, all people, not any individual people, depend on a future, which is to say depend on a human future, mm-hmm. uh, one in which we pass something down. Like, you know, you just think about things that you would never think of as having anything to do with the human future. Like no one works on the power lines if we all die with this generation. Right. right? Like all we would do is just, ta- you know. Well, and that's education why education I mean, goes yeah. away. Yeah, like, education goes away. goes away. Like, I right. mean, all these things. Well, not and just that, but the current, like the, like the immediate experience of life changes yeah. without children. Right. Children change everything. Right. And so, and and we live. I mean, you you said at the beginning of your comment or your question, like, 
that something has changed because people are choosing later to have children. And the very fact that you use the word <coughs> choose there with children right. is itself a transformation. The fact that we can choose That's to have sex without having children exactly. means that all of a sudden we live in a different kind of world. Well, like, the separation of sex and children yeah. and, and procreation yeah. – um, has created that's that's as a result of all the stuff that we've got. So we've got abortion, we've got we've got um, we've got different kinds of contraceptives and all that kind of stuff. So we can make the choice, but it's almost like this is the thing I've heard this said before. It's like separating um, taste from eating. Yeah, and so like you know, or like it's like being bulimic. It's because because there's this. If you're gonna be a sexual being, there is this thing that comes with it. It's a holistic thing to be a human being. And to be a sexual being is this complete process that that also that culminates eventually for most people, for the majority of the people in having children. Yeah. And I mean, at one extreme you have and I have some friends in this camp, people who uh, married couples who are choosing to not use contraception. Um, and these are, you know, not like crazy people. I have a friend with six children and they don't choose to use contraception, contraception because they believe that children, A, are a blessing. Despite driving you nuts, they're a blessing yeah. because, <laughs> yeah. you know, suffering, as we've been learning about in James, is actually not like the absence of God's control. It's actually the means by which God glorifies himself and sanctifies you. And children cause suffering. So right. they, in some sense, are, and they, they events, they face your sense of your primacy, that I'm the center of the world. That's exactly and so, and that includes, in their view, believing that God is sovereign over the having of children. And so Mm -hmm. they believe that to use contraception in general is, and they're not alone in this. I mean, if you get on first things journal or the new Atlantis, both of them talk about how like, um, a certain understanding of sex as being primarily for pleasure as you're kind of talking about here Mm -hmm. has to do with an orientation in general towards pleasure and then a detachment from the responsibilities that go with pleasure, you know, does that make sense? Like a totally like that 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 there's a there's a response. There responsibilities a, are themselves pleasurable. <laughs> like exactly that, that you sort of like you're saying like the fullness of human being. Yeah, like, it's the fullness of the experience. Yeah, I mean, that, like, well, and, and and you're saying that there are different types of people that kind of approach it, and this is one extreme. Yeah, and I I would say that's a that's true. My question is, it's the same question though, as as people are saying, okay, well, I should I have kids or should I not have kids? But they're not asking God. Yeah, and and I think couples that are that have gotten together have this preconceived notion i want two children yeah i want a boy and a girl i want whatever they have for their vision and they're not asking god either or right. they go out and they get a vasectomy after two kids and they never asked yeah. like that's my question is like god if if the if well, that's because the narrative God's, though you think about i mean this is that was my kind of initial point the narrative yeah. for the good life is not coming from the bible and the church it's right. coming from right their cultural formation and and it's not to say that it's inherently a bad narrative i mean there's a sense in which maybe that's a fine narrative it's just a question of like whether we're asking the question where are we getting our sense of what our lives are yeah, for well, is, and is it a like. christian narrative yeah exactly. is the question yeah <laughs> like, yeah exactly yeah because we can be it can be a fine narrative but is it a christian narrative right. and yeah. and i would say the christian narrative is we ask god and mm-hmm. he tells us and and i think many of the people i know aren't doing that and and what i've noticed with my friends they make decisions and so for me I was I was convicted about it, so I started asking God because a lot of my friends have gone out and gotten vasectomies. So I mean, just being honest with all of you, <laughs> and um, and so I've been present like, company excluded. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you think like you think, and and they do it without asking. I'm not saying that it's wrong to go out and get one. I'm just saying, you know, they're not asking the Lord. You know, like the they're womb not asking is I always the why say, either. Like the what's womb the is God's. The womb is the Lord's and everything in it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That sounds very Amish of me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you don't have a womb. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, ladies. Please forgive me. I should have said. I should have said the other parts, but it's just hard to say that without sounding uh, weird. Crass. Crass. Yeah. Right. The vast deference is God's and everything in it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like, I feel like we aren't asking those questions as Christians. In that context, we're not asking questions whether or not God wants us to do certain jobs. We're not asking, you know, like, so. Yeah, and I, I mean, this is yeah. just of a piece of a more general conversation this we're is, having about the captivity of American Christianity to America or to whatever cultural formation you want to use. America. America. The point is, like, not to criticize America. The point is, like, Christians have always struggled since time immemorial, since Jesus himself was teaching, we have struggled with syncretism, which is to say blending right. together the message exactly. of the gospel with the counter, the, the other narratives that are at work in their in the world. And so the early church, I mean, immediately 
struggles with this. Jesus himself, they're teaching in parables, and they're like, what are you saying? And Jesus is like, well, the Spirit will come and teach you because you're not going <laughs> to understand it fully yet. And, yeah. you know, there's a certain sense in which Jesus seems to be saying in that moment, like, in your current formation, you can't really understand what I'm saying. Right. You know, you have to be transformed in order to understand a kingdom that's upside down the way I'm describing this because you've so sold out to a conception of status that you can't even imagine a world where up is down and down is up. Right. Like, that's just, you're not even there yet. And I think right. there's a sense in which we're not even asking the question, like, is my conception of the good life anywhere near the conception Right. of what Christ calls the good life. I mean, we're not asking the question, why am I here? Or if we are, we're getting answers without even thinking twice. Like, mm -hmm. why am I here? I'm here to experience the <clears throat> ultimate amount of happiness with the least amount of suffering, of suffering, with the most amount of status and the least amount of disgrace. I mean, right. that most people, if they're honest, probably summarizes the, the narrative that we've all been taught. You know, don't offend anyone don't pursue virtue if virtue, you know, we're kind of via media types. Don't pursue right. virtue to the extent that it might offend somebody else. Oh, you yeah. know, have a lot of fun. And, you know, and, I mean, I yeah. just watched the film A Dog's Purpose. And yes. it was actually pretty good in lots cool. of ways. And and it was interesting about sort of, it was clearly Lasse Hallstrom, the, the director, is actually a brilliant director. He's done a lot of good movies. Cool. And uh, it, was a, it was clearly a parable. I mean, it's about human purpose, even though it's about dogs. And right. it's a kind of incarnation story, the, the reincarnation of the dog. But but it's basically about like him learning through these different incarnations of his dogliness what human life or what dog life is for. And actually, the conclusion is intriguing. He he says in the end, um, the dog voice, who's um, who's it's kind of hard to to watch because the voice is um, uh, the the snowman from um, from uh, Frozen. Oh. <laughs> so you mean the, Olaf? the whole time I'm just hearing Olaf talking. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's him, but and he's great. It's uh, I can't think of the actor's name, but yeah, he, uh, very cool. Yeah, he's very cool. But anyway, he says in the voiceover in the last scene, uh, the first thing he says is he like learned that the purpose of life is is to be present and and to sort of be present with the people who are there to love the people who are around you. And then I thought this is like the classic American thing is to kind of have the most happiness you can right. um, to sort of maximize your happiness. And, right. and, you know, you think about that, like that is a kind of American tension, right? Like have the most happiness and be present to the people around you. Presentness to the people around you often comes at the cost of your happiness. If you mean by happiness, like an enduring sense of well-being, right? Because right. choosing to love people who are struggling undercuts your happiness choosing to raise a child undercuts oh, yeah. your sense of an enduring sense of well-being or right? choosing <laughs> to be loyal you know yeah. when, when people are out of our when, disgrace yeah you know, or like when they're kind of stuff. they're annoying you or they're frustrating or they're you or they're not getting it or they're late to a meeting or they're ungracious towards you or they say mean things or they behind accidentally your back hurt you exactly so yeah there's a sense in which and I, that's not to fault the movie it's just to say our present world doesn't know how to keep those two things together Right? right, like how do you pursue happiness, but also fidelity? Um, but this is also this is coming. We're kind of talking about Christianity. We're talking about how to be a Christian. I think in culture and in this culture, in this individualistic culture, where we are gonna and and I think what what we're hitting on is the fact that we're gonna make decisions that are that are countercultural, that are that are uncomfortable, um, that put us in a position where we're uncomfortable. And and because God is going to ask us to do those things, and they're all they're often yeah, counterintuitive. That's right. that's right. So let's talk. I mean, we were talking before we started that we were wanting to talk a little bit about what that <clears> looks <throat> like for us. And so I mean, yeah. let me let me just give a concrete example of that. Like when yeah. I was in, so my wife had our first child um, fourteen years ago, mm -hmm. and in August, be fifteen, and uh, that's crazy. Just it's to say that, just so you know, that makes me thirty nine. So I'm I was twenty four <laughs> when we had our first kid. Uh, and, and when, you know, the countercultural piece of this was that, um, at the time, 15 years ago, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of stay at home dads, but my wife had a career and I had just, was just beginning grad school and we prayed about it and she was not doing well at, at being home postpartumly, however you say that after the birth. And so we decided to have me stay home with kids. Um, and cool. that was, or at least with the first kid, which was the only one we had at that point. And, and I prayed about it and it was like, we both prayed about it. We talked about it with people we respected who are Christians and it seemed like the right thing to do. And it, it, it didn't make sense in at the time. I mean, it's become more normal in the 15 years since. Yeah. Um, so clearly I was not alone in this narrative. I mean, I, at the time, you know, I had a number of friends who were in similar situations, a friend who's a lawyer, actually the friend of the six kids who's a lawyer who, who's done the same thing, um, 
and and others actually my next door neighbor was a um, CFO of a corporation and his wife worked for Harley and um, her job was requiring her to travel more so he stopped <laughs> being the CFO for this little company and stayed home with his kids for three years while I was staying home which was interesting mm. but the point is and he was a Catholic cool. Christian he also he was the same view actually as I was talking he's one of the guys I was thinking about before Chris he he believed that contraception was a sin and that yeah. they shouldn't use it and they have like five kids and right. he's this amazing guy and and he had a mba from chicago and went to yeah. North, and went to undergrad at uh, yeah, Notre Dame. Not, and listen <laughs> he's not some not, weird like backwoods guy i like, think what we're saying is that's not a weird view no and he and he and his wife was in the same boat she had a she had an mba from northwestern and yeah um, went to notre dame undergrad and and the two of them were like powerhouse couple and cool. they you know had multiple kids and he they stayed made, home with them and, and so the but the two of us were there sitting there in suburbia in the middle of nowhere chicago you know raising our kids in this way that didn't go with the cultural narrative. He, he was, he stepped out of a career because her career was like a little less flexible in a way. And he was in between kind of the thing he wanted to do and something else. And, and so he kind of stepped out into a different narrative and he was Christian. And we talked about it in terms of his, his call. He was Catholic and believed that God thought the highest good was raising a family. And so he yeah. prioritized his kids. And, and right. I did the same thing. Like I, my career definitely has <clears throat> suffered by the fact that I chose to be home with my kids for 10 years and sure. not and and you know so from the standpoint of success i am less successful in the worldly conception of success because i chose mm -hmm. to do that so when we're talking about this like this is not some abstraction for me like as no, a 24 no. year old i decided to not go to certain phd programs because it would have made raising my kids impossible so i didn't sure. go to the university of chicago but instead went to the university of illinois because i didn't think i could do what i was doing at the university of chicago which is a better school which would right. have brought me into a different kind of place but i knew that i couldn't be faithful to the call in my life which was to raise my kids right. and the call in my life to be a, a professor if i did that so it you know it's a counterculture my, my advisor was like my phd advisor was like you should go <laughs> like he's right. like i'll get you in he actually got me into a number of programs and it's like you should go you can get uh, as he put it a lovely polish woman to watch your kids that was his direct quote <laughs> a lovely polish woman. <laughs> and so in, in chicago there's a lot of uh, nannies who are polish i guess that's what yeah and anyway the point is uh this is not like a abstraction for me like right. trying to think of my purpose as being bringing about the sanctification of my children right and thereby bringing about my own sanctification which was definitely yeah. true for me as an early parent i mean still is true but but my kids destroyed me in terms of yes my pride and arrogance and you know the recognition of the kind of horrible human being i was mm. so uh, this is not like some abstract topic for me. This no, of course is very not. concrete. For this me. is why I'm glad we're talking about it because I, I knew today we, we were actually tempted not to talk about parenting today, but I, I'm very glad that we're talking about it because it's not an abstraction for me either. Um, Christina and I have decided, <laughs> sorry about that, <laughs> making all kinds of weird noises. <laughs> Christina and I decided to have to have kids early too, um, a little bit later than you guys. I, I think I was 29 when Liam was born and, uh, and and so now we have four boys and I mean like we're making the crazy we're making the crazy choice of homeschooling. Mm. Christina's working on um, coming up with an entirely new like classical education strategy too for them and I, I mean so we're doing the entire thing where it's like we are a family we're gonna do it together we're family together we're gonna be together um, at home and away and you know what I mean I it's funny because being a worship pastor being an actor all those things that I do. Um, I have enough flexibility where I can be present a lot too. I can coach their baseball and stuff like that. But we're making decisions uh, to be available to our kids as well, and it's it's definitely hindered it's hindered my my career as well. You know, because if we didn't have kids, and if we didn't want to live in a place where it was kid friendly, then we could have lived out in Pasadena. Or we could have gone further out and lived in Los Angeles, and I could have really pursued my career in acting and you know, gone to a different church and that kind of stuff. But you know what? Yeah, you know, like been a worship pastor at Ecclesia or something like that. But I mean, shoot, I mean, if they would have me. <laughs> but uh, but that's the thing. Like that could have been the, that could have been the story. But the Lord decided to ask us to stay here. Um, he kept us grounded here uh, in this area in the Inland Valley. And, and it's it's weird how that is, has worked out. And so for Caleb and I both, I think it's a it's it's definitely a narrative that we've that we've chosen because we've wanted to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and the Lord has asked us to do it. So my challenge, I guess, to the people that are listening, the people that are kind of in the, in the direct, directly following us, people in their 20s, um, is to ask the question. 
is to not say, um, you know, not to assume that you know uh, what God has for you because you have a passion for a certain thing or whatever, um, and to think, wow, my, my goal is to make a humongous impact or to start Compassion International Part 2, um, you know, or, or to make movies um, all the time, uh, to, be, to be a famous actor, to be a famous director, to, make it, to be an entrepreneur, or, or whatever, or to be like a highly successful lawyer, whatever it is. Um, and I think some of the narratives that you shared about your friends like, are, are really good examples. Um, but it's to ask the question to say, Lord, what do you, what do you have for me as far as, but as I, far I, as family I goes? I don't disagree with you, Jared, but I also just say, like in one sense, I don't think it's a question we actually have to ask. I mean, I agree with you. It is a question we should ask. But on the other hand, like the more fundamental question of like, the real question is something more like this, which is like, am I actually trying to live my life for God, <laughs> you know, and right. and then or the question in, of in Christ, yeah, in Christ, however you, I mean, right. oriented toward, I mean, and and a lot of people now think of themselves as being Christians because they've prayed a prayer saying, Jesus, I want you to save me, yeah. and like what the Gospels represent salvation as is following Jesus, not praying a prayer saying, I don't want to die for my sins right. and spend eternity in hell. It's it's that to be saved, the word actually, when it's used elsewhere in Greek, means restoration, like fixing a building. Mm-hmm. Zoso doesn't mean like, you know, I just like it's zapped and I, you know, it's not like what happens in um, uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, where after the city gets destroyed, yeah. they just use a wand and restore everything. Yeah, restore it's everything. actually like restoration of, you know, the way that actual, if you if you restore a house like on HGTV and it, like they go through this whole process. Or Mary Poppins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's not just I'm like, Mary Poppins, yo. <laughs> it's not like, you know, flipping a house where you just like zap it with a, with yeah. a wand and it's, well, it's, it's a montage, restored immediately. A montage sequence. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> like the, the restoration of a person right. happens by choosing to follow Jesus. And so as odd as that sounds, like marriage what is, and, and children, what does that have to do with the restoration of a person? Oh, in my experience, it has everything, everything to do everything. with restoration of a person. Like God made us to be in relationship with a, another person first because marriage is primarily about our holiness, not about the kind of you know happiness it generates for us. And God made us have children because it then again eviscerates our sense of us being the center of the world like that i we we don't come to that abstract idea and then have a kid we don't think like oh i'm not the center of the world i'm gonna have a child we have a child and we learn we're not the center of the world right exactly you know and and it's like we think that we have to i hear people say all the time like I'm just not ready for marriage yet. I'm just, right. I'm, I'm too self-centered. And you're like, <laughs> so what, you're going to spend 10 years being self-centered and that's going to get you prepared to be less self-centered? Yeah, like, most of the time what that does it is works. it teaches you how to be even <laughs> yeah, more self-centered. Yeah, I'm going to live at home with my parents. We're going to take care of yeah. me being a non-adult and I'm right. going to like sleep around and, and masturbate are we allowed to say that on here? Yes, we are. Um, and and watch pornography. Or, and, and then and that's going to prepare me. And when me. I do my laundry, I'm going to post on Instagram that I'm adulting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to prepare me yeah. <laughs> in order to be less self-absorbed. Like, I'm going to go to the bank today. God I'm uses, adulting. No, and we've been talking about Jamie Smith a lot on this program, and I just want to mention him again here because Jamie Smith, I've been really influenced by in so many ways, but his new book that I mentioned a couple, I don't know, maybe a month ago, uh, uh, it's called You Are What You Love. And, and what he means by love in that is you are what you do. I mean, he, mm-hmm. Jamie's a kind of interesting pragmatist. He's a kind of complicated pragmatist, um, which in philosophy means you believe what you do. Um, yeah. So what you say actually isn't what you believe. No, what I you agree do with is what you believe. Absolutely. And, and Jamie's point is that you are what you love is that your practices so orient your heart. And mm-hmm. we keep thinking, like, I got to get my heart right. And then uh, I'll do something. And his point is, do the things you're called to do, and that will actually restore your heart. Right. And it's not an either or. It's not like you can't also work on your inner life. He's not denying yeah. the importance of like an inner life. He's just saying that God's tools for restoring our inner life is what we do with our bodies. And like marriage and children are one right. of the things we do with our bodies that changes our heart. Well, not yeah. the other way around. Not change your heart and then do those things with your body. Well, no, dude, I love that. I think this is this is exactly what we need to be talking about because you... You know, at Faith Community, we used to, he used to always, uh, Jim Reeve used to always say, you act your way into a feeling, which, uh, you know, at the time I was always like, meh, but now I'm, I'm like, yes, that's, yeah. exa- that's exactly yeah. right. And I think that's As a, a worship mature. pastor, that sounds a little inauthentic. Like, no, you know, raise no, your no, hands right. and, then, and then you'll like feel it. It but. sounds inauthentic, but it isn't. See, no. the thing is, our body posture, what we do with our bodies does affect our emotions and our spirit. And, yeah. and it does. Yeah. Like, so if we're kneeling on the ground. If yeah. we're raising our hands, you know, oftentimes the, the feelings come after that. Right. 
And because we, what we want to do in worship is the same thing that we want to do in everything else, which is when I have a feeling, I'm going to raise my hand. Yeah, so, an overflow of emotion. So when the chorus happens, right. I'm going to raise my right. hands because right. that's when the music is the most intense. Right. And instead, what we should it's be doing... It's the bridge, doing, Jared. It's the, it's the octave change in the bridge. <laughs> no, it's, it is. It's like when you key change. So I, I don't know. I feel, like, I feel like that's one of the reasons why worship pastors, when they force a congregation to raise their hands, I have no problem with that. I have no problem with it. And in fact, all of you out there that are listening, get your hands in the air when you're worshiping. Because you know what? You're going to get it. And wave them like you just don't care. <laughs> you're you're going to get it. You're going to feel the feelings based on... And I think that's true with marriage. It's true with sex. The way that, that the things that we do are, you know, are definitely... Yeah, they, they proceed the feelings that we have in the maturity that happens afterwards. Well, and I mean, this is where we get into the, uh, a problem area, which is that... You know, you can have this conversation as abstraction. And if I'm an audience member listening and I'm thinking, okay, I'm 20 years old or 25 years old, and I don't know, in our audiences, whatever they are, uh, I'm thinking, like, so what? Are you saying, like, you know, if I do these things, it's going to work out? Like, has it worked out for you? Are you better off than you would have been? And I mean, you know, show me the money, basically. I would say yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah. And I actually, I was going to yeah. say, like, this is where the problem of testimony comes in. Like, one of the challenging things for me as a professor is that. When you talk about yourself with your students, there's this sort of problem of like, it seems prideful, like, look at me, I've arrived, or yeah. I'm successful because I know more than you. On the other hand, it, it, and just like when somebody testifies about, you know, Christ's work in their life, there's this like space of, you know, I, I've been freed from my alcoholism, you know, the spirit touched me. And there's a space in which that looks potentially like a kind of grandstanding or a kind of arrogance or a sure. kind of pride. But I think there's another sense in which when we don't testify to the work of God's work in our life, that we then run the risk that people don't realize that actually God is in the business of changing people and has. Like, I have definitely been radically changed by right. choosing to be faithful and being graced with the gift of that freedom to be faithful to that call to raise my kids. Like, to to first get married and to to be in a sexually chaste relationship and have children. And, and as a result of that, I'm a near a 40-year-old who has done and achieved most of the things I dreamed to do and experienced a great deal of contentment. Mm. And I not perfect contentment, not total, I'm not like finished, no. but I am not where I was as a 20-year-old and I do not wrestle the same way. It doesn't, again, it doesn't mean I don't wrestle with sin, it doesn't mean I don't, but but those things, those, those choices to do those things yeah. have radically altered who I am and, and, and I think for the better. Right. And, and I'm making a very positive difference in the world at the same time. There are three people in the world who are in the world in a way that I think people need to be in the world because of those choices, right? Like yeah. I'm the primary thing I'm doing as a professor is raising three children who are the kind of student I want to have. And right. again, not to put pressure on my kids. I don't mean that. Like, it's not like they no, have no. to like become the right thing or they're going to disappoint me. I don't mean that. I mean no, no, no. that there's a sense in which when people sort of say like, well, I want to see that that actually works out. Yeah. You know, it doesn't work out perfectly. And I've made so many mistakes as a parent. I, you know, I could just, we could spend a whole show talking about that. Totally. But it has made me more like Christ, and it has made them more like Christ. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, and all of that glorifies God because that's ultimately what I'm here for. Well, and I would echo everything you said. Yeah. Because... Echo. Echo. <laughs> I just want to... Yeah, because all the stuff that you just said about how God has transformed you because of the choices that you've made. I mean, gosh, the most important choices you make in life are who you're going to marry and in your... And, and having kids like those are like, you know, and your job like these are huge, huge decisions who you who you marry ends up shaping everything. Mm -hmm. um, and so be wise about that. And so, I mean, not to put too much pressure because you're going to have imperfect people around yeah. you. But the other and, and and be the type of person that God wants you to be in the relationship. And, you know, hopefully that person will grow and you'll mature. Um, but the other thing is having kids. So the question is, are we baby factories? I think biologically, yes. <laughs> I yeah. think the actual the actual truth is yes we are and um you know partially our bodies are intended to you know communicate they're intended to like hold our consciousness and they're intended to procreate like those are things that like are physically what like we're, we're designed to do like those are you know um and yeah I, I think we have these physical bodies so that we can communicate love to other people um that's why and so and then to procreate. So yes, in many ways we are. So I totally disagree with the people that say that we're not baby factories. We are kind of. Well, and I think maybe before we finish, one thing we should maybe talk about even just briefly is 
well, I mean, there's a couple ways of getting at this. People who don't have kids, what role they have in parenting. People who can't have kids and right. want them. I mean, that could be a whole separate, a whole that, separate Yeah, that's topic. a separate topic, I, I would say, yeah. But, but, but I think they're related in that this goes back to that conversation about the kind of space we all live in, the kind of shared or common good. And, and I still think, I mean, in, in the tradition that, that has been really influential on me, the Reformed tradition, um, they talk a lot about common grace. And Abraham Kuyper in particular has influenced me. And he's, Kuyper um, was actually the prime minister of Holland. And uh, he thought that like a good society was a good for everyone. It was related in his view to, um, to education and to children. And he was also a president of a university before he was prime minister. But it was also just that, that, that a good society, you know, shaped everyone well. And we're all in some sense in that regard parenting. And, and I think that the analogy there is related to what people who don't have kids or people who, you know, can't have kids, what their part in all this is. I, I think there's an, an, mm-hmm. a, a kind of problem in American style parenting that treats and he, and I don't fault you for this, but what you said before kind of gets at this a little bit when you're like, you know, we're just kind of a family and we're doing our thing. And there's a kind of isolationism. And, and I don't think that's your point, but there there can be this sense of like the autonomy family unit, not the autonomy autonomous individual. But now it's the autonomous family unit that has mm-hmm. to sort of stand against the culture. And, and And in one sense, I think that's fine. On the other hand, the unit that that mm-hmm. Christ calls us to is the church, right? right? So and the, and the family I guess is the, is is part of the church. Our view is that you know we are responsible for these kids in the context of the community of the church. Yeah, like exactly. That's how, that's and how and, we and that it. includes like your small group, yeah, our small group, and that includes yeah. like so. There's these other, and I just I just said that to qualify what you said. There's Absolutely. A, there's yeah. a sense in which, like, it doesn't mean that everybody has to be. It doesn't mean we all have to work for you know which we can work for the common good in like the sense of like working for LA County or working in the school district. You know, some Christians will choose and choose rightly to sort of abstract themselves from that. But it's not just to this small family unit of like me and my five people. We were talking before we got started about the sort of way that alternate family units get created on, um, on your favorite, favorite television show, (laughs) The Walking Dead. Yeah. The Walking Dead. Yeah. And, and like, there's a sense in which, Walking Dead sort of illustrates that kind of autonomous and and constructive view of family. Like you'll kind of make up your family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like non biological. You kind of and that's that's you know ever since the show Friends came out that that's yeah, how yeah yeah that's kind of it's a yeah. family yeah it's a family but it's not they're not biologically related yeah. but you know it's a family and that's kind of how people have created these little family family units right. that aren't family units right and that and that that right. has come about in the context too mm-hmm. of all this 20th century psychology which locates like all of our maladies and damage in the family right so going back yeah. to freud we have conceptions of of personal like what's wrong with us is basically a function of the family like what right. psychology does is locate most things in families of origin and of course everybody in some ways has a family of origin but you know if you're somebody who doesn't have kids you're not actually in my view if you're part of the church you're part of something that's a family of origin, which is to say you are constructing the kind of world Mm -hmm. that people are being made in. (laughs) Well, and that's a great, listen, that's a great, that's a great addendum. I think we got to make sure that we're not talking about what, what we're not talking about is people that are called to be single. Yeah. um, Or people that are in our midst that are single and just haven't found the right person yet or are looking or whatever. Like there's grace there. I'm not saying at all. Yeah. What we're talking about is the people that are specifically choosing. Yeah. I think to be. I just think it's important to qualify that so that people. Because I know we have people in our church, for example, who are doing all sorts of things to do precisely what I'm describing, which is to help create a world in which kids thrive. Right. And and they're not just doing it. My daughter's small group leader is amazing. And she's a kindergarten teacher as well. So my eldest daughter, 15 year old. And, you know, so she during the day, she's raising little people to, you know, in a. And, you know, I'm guessing a context where she's trying to help them to become more like Christ, even though she's probably not allowed to say that. And then on Wednesday nights, yeah. she's trying to help my daughter become more like Christ. And, exactly. And, and she herself has no children, at least to my knowledge. Yeah. And and yet here she is like she's definitely parenting. Right. She exactly. in the biblical sense of what parenting is. She's contributing sure. to the flourishing of all of these people to make them become what God made them to be like to worship him. Yeah. So I, I guess I just say that like for sure. less we think like we're not telling people like everybody has to have kids and like that's the only way you can become what God made you to be. Now, everyone's designed to love others. Well, and, and having kids is one of the primary ways yes. God has done that. Well, but and it's I not think the it's, only way. As Christians, it's we need to be 
we need to be so welcoming of children. We need to love children. We need to, you know, invite children into our lives. I, you know, C.S. Lewis, <laughs> he always said that he didn't like children, but he didn't really, he, re- he recognized that it was a fault in him. Yeah. It wasn't something good. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, if you don't like children, it's not good. Yeah. Like that's actually a fault of yeah. yours. You need yeah. to fix it. Um, yeah. <laughs> they certainly get in the way of control. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. And I, and peace. Yeah, peace, control, success, destiny, personal destiny. Yeah. So it's, you know, I guess well, we're, ta- we're talking yeah. to a very specific group of people that are making a conscious choice not to have kids. Yeah, and it's just always important to, to remind people of who you – I mean, I, I know this from miscommunications in my job. Mm-hmm. Like when I say things that I think I'm clear about who I am speaking to yeah. and it's heard as me saying something otherwise. And I think all of us listen out of our own insecurities and our own pain. Sure. And so we, we hear people saying things that they aren't saying because – we feel judged and we feel inadequate, myself for sure included in this. And so we think somebody's mm-hmm. talking, saying something about us. And of course, in a context like this, we can't have people call in and, you know, say, hey, you guys are, you haven't thought about this. And, right, exactly. and so, I mean, again, I just think that it's important that people remember that, that in an, in an analogical sense, we are all parenting. Like that's yeah. the point of children of men is that it's, it, most of the functions of culture mm-hmm. are actually parenting functions. You just don't, directly right. realize that. Well, you that's were, what Hillary Clinton said, man. <laughs> it takes a village. <laughs> was that, so Al Gore she, well, invented the internet and Hillary Clinton yeah, invented actually, that Yeah, actually, she, she stole that from an African proverb. So, yeah, so let's summarize. If we could summarize today. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you want to go with me to? Well, uh, yeah, why don't you start and yeah. I'll add anything I mean, that I feel like we It missed. seems to me like, and again, this is part of what Glennon his wife were getting it on Sunday is that Kimberly Kimberly. I was like, keep thinking Cindy, Glenn and Cindy. I don't know why that I knew somebody named Glenn and Cindy. Um, that part of what parenting is about is like our individual purpose. I mean, we, we are not here for ourselves. Uh, mm-hmm. Our reason to be in existence is not for our own glorification or our own self-actualization, or our own self-realization. And that children, as we've been discussing it, help you with that in two ways. One is they give you like direct access to your own, pride and how much you think your life's about you because they constantly require you to remember that it's not about you yeah. <laughs> like hey feed me feed me yeah. <laughs> yeah. or change my diaper or uh-huh. um and then you know that so that parenting actually becomes a means to our own sanctification but also to their sanctification like we are helping them become like christ but us doing that is helping us become like christ mm-hmm. so that when we sanctify our children or help God in the work of the sanctification of our kids. And they definitely, it sounds weird saying that because most people think kids are innocent, but they definitely need sanctification. Yeah. They're not born innocent. Yeah, no. Sarah McLaughlin <laughs> was wrong. Watch some four-year-old smack right. another four-year-old and tell me they're innocent. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, or my, my son Everett, who's one years old. Oh, yeah. It's worse than any hockey game. They just oh, like take another kid out and then like laugh about it. We call him Baby Zilla. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, but it's, it's true, man. Like uh, the other piece I think that we talked about was the process by which we go about choosing to not or have kids yeah or how many yeah um and and the question then becomes as christians how do we approach every decision in life and and especially these difficult decisions um are we the type of people that are supposed to just kind of make these decisions for ourselves or do we really need to require we we need to ask god um what he thinks um does he have an opinion about these things and my guess is that he does and i think the people that are And and so that that's the one piece. But then also to qualify that, we're saying we're not talking about people that either can't have kids. We're not talking about people that are called to be single. Um, And what we're doing is we're kind of challenging people to rethink kind of a holistic view of what it means to be a human being, um, especially when in regards to sex and, and asking those questions like, hey, you know, is sex supposed to be connected to a holistic kind of family experience? And I, I think as Christians, we have to say, yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Well, and I think, and the other piece of this that's related to your comment about choice, you know, asking God, you know, should we do this, is to remember that there is a long legacy of mature and thoughtful Christians, including Scripture, yeah, talking about this. Like, we don't just have to ask God in some abstraction. Like, there is a long conversation about the purpose of sex and the family and, and what parenting is for. And, and that's not like... You know, so it's not just like we have to have this sort of 
God has to directly infuse it to us in our prayer life. Mm-hmm. It's actually, I mean, part of what we are referencing today are people who have informed us, like how we think about totally. parenting. And and for me, I mean, oddly enough, like a lot of the way I think about parenting has to do with how I think about theology. You know, if I think about what my purpose is for, well, that's the same as the purpose of my kids, which informs how I raise them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I also think of my kids as as working towards my purpose, right? Yes. So like I'm helping them realize their purpose and they are helping me realize my purpose. And the point is like, that's actually a theological thing. I mean, the, right. the means we use to get to that ends are actually quite divergent and probably will. I mean, everyone's are going to, yours and mine look different yeah, they and, and they look different a hundred years ago, but the mm-hmm. goal is still the same to glorify God and enjoy him forever <laughs> or whatever well, way talking, you want to Yeah. It. Well, we're talking like the Tim Keller, you know, book about marriage that just came out yeah. um, a couple years ago that, that talked about how marriage is really not for your happiness. It's not for your personal individual happiness. It's for your sanctification. Yeah. The same thing with parenting. Yeah, Gary so. Chapman has that great book on. He has one that's called yeah. Sacred Marriage. Oh, very. And cool. then he has one called Sacred Parenting. Uh, oh, and they're so you, both yeah, about. So like, yeah, you're connecting the two, which I think is absolutely. Yeah. I just God said that, and now I'm nervous things. that that's not true. Like, part of me wants to check and make sure that. Okay, well, I check think it's it. called Sacred Parenting. Fact check. <laughs> no, I think it is Sacred Parenting. I think you're right. But I'm I pretty could be sure. Wrong. Yeah, it is a Sacred Parenting. It is. So all I Gary Thomas, not Gary Chapman. Gary Thomas. Gary Thomas. Sorry. Yeah, Chapman has some other good books on parenting and stuff too. Yeah, yeah, I got the name wrong. Um. But no, but yeah, and they're so both, I mean, they're both about our fundamental theology, like why exactly. we're here. And, and again, that matters because if you're not asking those kind of questions and not realizing the church has answers, you're getting those kinds of questions and those kind of answers somewhere else. Yeah. You're getting it from the world we're in. And, so, and that world has answers, and those answers lead to different outcomes. So I think this is a theme that we talk about almost every week, but, but it's are we Christians or are we something else? Like yeah. are we part of the culture? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the final question I want to leave you guys with. How do we approach how do we approach this culture? How do we approach these big decisions in our lives as people who are followers of Christ or as, you know, millennial individualist, you know, like Americans? Yeah, and, um, and Christianity is just it's a means not, to our ends and it is rather not, than our ends. Right. And it's not the same. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, not the same. It's not therapeutic. Uh, religion, yeah. like it's not for yeah. my own good. It's, right. it's, it's, am I being obedient to Christ? Am I making these decisions as a believer? Um, or am I making them as an American young person? And ironically enough, many people, and like this is just maybe my last word on this, many people who treat religion as a therapy discover it to be terribly untherapeutic. Yes, exactly. And that's because its therapeutic value lies in actually believing that it is reality. And we, when we say, right. It's not when, a means to an end. It is the end. When we say therapeutic, what we're saying is religions for my own good and yeah. health. And to, to, for my own well-being. For my own well-being and happiness. Yeah. Um, it is good for you, but like kids, it doesn't always feel good. Or like marriage or like any other thing. Or like anything else that's or like seal, Or like SEAL training. Yeah. <laughs> or like seal. I've been yeah. kissed by Rose. <laughs> <laughs> That's Baby, I can tell you to a kiss pop the bowls on creep. I'll be your Heidi Klum. Man, that's a good song. I'll be your Heidi Klum. Please don't ever say that again. Uh okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up. Um thank you guys so much for listening to the Purpose Podcast. We talked about parenting, we talked about the purpose of man, the purpose of Christians and culture which we continually talk about. I'm noticing a theme here that we are constantly talking about what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be in our culture? How do we blend the two? Where do the di- where did they diverge? And um, I love this conversation. We need to continue to have it. Um, I want to, let's see, if you guys want to leave a question, if you have a question for us that we can talk about online, please email me, okay? I'm going to say, instead of emailing what we've told you to email in the past, uh, just email me at mypurposechurch.com. It's Jarrett L at purposechurch.com. Uh, and we will definitely put it online. We can uh, have that conversation going. I think it'll be great to hear from you guys. Uh, anyway, so without further ado, um, for my co-host, Caleb Spencer, we just want to say thank you so much for listening to the Purpose Podcast. We will see you next week or on Sunday or at a service opportunity um, all right, until next time on the Purpose Podcast.